This is Kasai, and you're listening to Out of the Fog on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal. According to Pew Charitable Trusts, a public policy organization in D.C., there were 2.7 million children with one incarcerated parent in the U.S. in 2014. As an adoptee, what immediately runs through my mind is, what is happening to these children? Do they live with their families? Are they in foster care? Are they adopted out? And how do they maintain relationships with their incarcerated parent? I caught up with Kate, an activist and artist who works in prisons. Kate's family life was impacted by mental illness, but she says her art practice gave her an outlet and a way to cope with her feelings. There was never a time where I wasn't an artist. I was always an artist. Um, And my family life was definitely um, impacted by the mental health of people in my family. Um, There was real um, mental illness in my family, and that mental illness was approached through the lens of medicine. So as a kid, I really believed that for me, um, what made me feel like that I could manage and that I had some coping skills, um, when I saw other people who I felt really close to struggling, I really kind of came to believe that it was because I had this creative practice that allowed me to um, express myself and explore feelings and also like see where I connected to the larger world um, through the exposure to art and by making art, but by also experiencing other people's art. Kate wanted to make herself useful as an artist, so she started working in psychiatric institutions, which later led her to work in prisons. For her, art is a tool for resistance, and it can give people agency. After I you know, studied art and went to art school, I was really interested in thinking about how I, as an artist, could insert myself into the institutional mental health system in a way that I could be useful for people so they wouldn't become trapped um, in this, like, quagmire of institutionalization. And in the U.S., what you learn really quickly um, is that our largest psychiatric facilities are prisons and jails. And so, you know, I was doing some work in state hospitals and I was doing work in forensics at St. Elizabeth in Washington, D.C. But the more I really studied the larger structure of institutional mental health care in the U.S., um, most people who were suffering from mental illness were in prison. for people to really see their agency, um, but also I'm really interested in, you know, getting people excited about thinking about how that through art making that they could actually resist the systems that were making them feel expendable um, and build relationships with other people in, you know, whether either in the psych facility or in prison um, in a way that was, like, useful on a, on a broader level. A lot of people ask me about you know, what was it like, like, working at San Quentin? And, you know, for me, largely what it was like is really incredible to see how, you know, poets and musicians 
and people who can do incredible things with their hands, like keep alive the soul of the prison population. Um, Because if it wasn't for those people there, um, truly people really lose their humanity in, you know, just feeling like erased. describes how the physical attributes of jails and mental institutions are made to make one feel small and meaningless. If you look at the way that prisons look, like the physical experience of prisons and mental health institutions, they're really similar. Um, It's long, straight corridors. Um, They're made of firm, cold materials that are mostly synthetic. You rarely have access to sunlight. Um, There's not plants inside. You are, you know, assigned to a teeny tiny room that usually you're not allowed to um, make it reflect you or, you know, put things on the wall or change it around in ways that make it look like, give it any kind of evidence that you've been there. A lot of people had always been in institutional environments that were filled with both systematically and structurally filled with messages about that, like, you're one of a million, you don't matter, you don't have power to change things, your creative, you know, expression isn't important, your fully expressed self is not what the priority of this community is. says that the structure and hierarchy contribute to inmates feeling like they're flawed and need to be fixed. But she's not interested in fixing them. When I was teaching inside prisons, you know, in in many cases, I was the only person that people had access to who wasn't telling them, you know, like, I'm here to fix you or I'm here to, you know, get you excited about whether it's Christianity or AA or whatever kind of service it is, um, largely, you know, where it's like, oh, I'm, you're the broken person and I'm here to fix you. Art provides a way for people to resist the dehumanizing nature of incarceration while also connecting them to their loved ones. So what type of things would you do with them? One of the most useful things that I could be doing with moms and dads is getting them thinking about how to use the limited resources that they have Um, to creatively interact and build relationships and communicate and maintain relationships with their kids on the outside. And, you know, and that looks a lot of different ways for different people. I worked with plenty of dads who, you know, for whatever reason, the mom of their children um, wasn't going to give them direct access to their kids. But that didn't mean, like, you know, for some of them that meant, you know, building this Spider-Man scrapbook over the five or six years that they were incarcerated so that when they went home, they had this, um, you know, piece of evidence that, you know, as they rebuilt a relationship with their child in person, 
um, that they could say, like, hey, you know, like, this entire time that I was incarcerated, I thought about you this whole time, and this is what I made to document all the things that I was thinking about you or, you know, the few letters that I got or when I got a picture of you, like, this is what I did with it. Um, so I think it's also about, you know, being inventive and in supporting people in wherever they are to think about how, you know, to just be just right exactly where you are um, and think about how with the resources that we can work with, um, how can that work? For other people, you know, I worked with one guy who, like, they'd go on lockdown and he would just, you know, construct, like, huge pop-up cards for his granddaughters. Um, and, you know, he would watch TV and transcribe, like, all the different cartoons that were popular at the time and send out these handmade pop-up cards um, to his grandchildren. So art is probably one of the the most um it's like a, it's a it's a real glue um in 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 people's efforts to maintain relationships um with their family on the outside disagrees that she's empowering people. In fact, she firmly corrected me. She says that people are already empowered, and it's the system that disempowers them. And I think that, like, it's important to recognize that, like, I'm not empowering anyone. That, like, people are empowered. You know, like, I think that it's important to recognize that, like, this is a collaboration, and that I'm an artist, and I have a certain tool, and I'm interested in partnering with communities. Those communities are powerful and are doing really interesting things. It's that the larger system has acted to, you know, to create tremendous wealth gap and to underserve communities. So I, I think that it's a mistake to say that, like, the work empowers people, but that the work is a tool in resisting the systems that are operating to disenfranchise people. Kate's artwork is bold, beautiful, and it carries messages of hope, strength, and resilience. When I ask her about her art, she says she wants it to spark conversations about systemic issues, because oftentimes, conversations only start at the crime scene. I want it to be really beautiful because I think there's also a part in, um, you know, I can kind of, for, for, the, for the subject, Obviously, there's the part where, like, when I paint a subject, I want them to feel like that I loved them while I was painting them, that I really saw, like, their spirit and that, you know, whatever, however, whatever environment that I create for them in the portrait, that it captures the humanity that I saw in the person when I sat with them and talked with them and, you know, tried to capture their essence in a portrait. But also, generally... I want my work to be beautiful because I want to seduce people who feel no connection to the people or the things that I'm talking about in my work. I want to like seduce them and like pull them in by the beauty of something that so many times they've been taught is something different. Um, and and also to really change like what the conversation is about, particularly around prison and police brutality. Um, so many of these things, the conversation starts at a crime scene, where the conversation should start 
thinking about like how do we value people so that people have the things that they need. Um, and so when I make portraits of families um, and of moms and of people who are incarcerated, um, I want us to get back to the conversation about how it is that we can see each other and make a commitment to one another so that we all have what it is that we need. And when we start there, it's a really different kind of conversation than when we start at, you know, by scrutinizing some kind of crime scene that is a result of hundreds of years of not prioritizing that everyone deserves to have what it is that they need so that they can be their fully expressed self. So um, the beauty piece for me um, is naturally about that, you know, in art, when you're painting people, I think that the beauty part of it can really be a way to, like, show you love for the people that you're painting. Um, but I think it's also a way to call people to conversations who might not otherwise feel as though the conversation is about them or for them or relevant to them. for today's episode of Out of the Fog. If you want to listen to our previous episodes, please visit outofthefog.news. Thanks for listening.